if you're in a tech organization and you're not a rec- even in recruiting and you start seeing that suddenly all the recs get placed on hold, there's a, there's a headcount freeze. You see the writing on the wall. That's a major, major red flag. And it's almost, I don't think I've ever seen a circumstance where that's happened, where things went back to normal again. It's almost every case that has led to layoffs. And if they're sitting in a town hall meeting and they're saying, we're not going to, we're not thinking layoffs. We are not doing layoffs. There's no plans to do layoffs. <laughs> they're, they are absolutely planning to do layoffs and they absolutely already have the list of people who are being laid off in their hand while they're telling people that they're not doing layoffs. <laughs> You're listening to It Gets Late Early, a show about the experience of getting older in the tech industry. I'm your host, Maureen Wiley-Clough. Let's dive in. Welcome to It Gets Late Early. Today I have with me someone who's going to be very valuable to this audience because unfortunately we have been the victims of quite a few rounds of layoffs and it doesn't seem like those are stopping anytime soon. So with me here today I have Brian Creeley of A Life After Layoff. He was a corporate recruiter across a couple different industries including but not limited to tech for what 20 plus years or so and has shifted into career coaching, job search coaching, and content creation. He has a fantastic YouTube channel that you all should check out. I'll put it in the show notes and just thrilled to have you here today to help all of us out in this tech industry. Yeah. Yeah. Excited to be here. Yeah. This is, this should be fun. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. So Brian, can you tell us a little bit about your path? What led you from corporate recruiting to where you are today and, and some, some sort of background on you as a human being? Yeah, that's like a, the tell me about yourself question. <laughs> I <in the> know. <laughs> we all, we all so, love that one, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, how do you answer it? So, um, <laughs> so in the, in the context of a podcast, I will go in the more <laughs> verbose and kind of a long-winded way because love probably it. can get away with it. However, if you're in an interview, you want to be nice and concise and related directly to the job that you're right. applying to. Do as yeah. I say, not as I do. Right, right. <laughs> this, is not a, this is not an example to set. Um, yeah, so I guess a little bit about me. I have been um, in human resources and or uh, probably more specifically in the recruiting function for the better part of 20, gosh, I'm starting to age myself. I've gotten more gray too. As it's okay. This, so it's okay. We embrace that here yeah. at It Gets Later. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if you actually look at my videos from my, my very first YouTube videos to now, it's like, it's really bad. <laughs> I, I was looking at it earlier. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, so I've been doing it for over 20 years now. Um, and almost every, in fact, every single role with the exception of maybe one short stint where I was in a more of a creative marketing role. Um, I have been in, uh, had some capacity of hiring people, um, whether I being the primary point of contact, um, or, uh, being as part of a recruitment team or even as a hiring manager. So I've kind of the whole gamut in all size companies, all size organizations, ton of different industries. Um, I've been in uh, fortune, I work for Amazon, so it's what that's probably like for, Fortune five uh, in the world, um, and I've worked at um, small mom and pop companies. I've worked at um, FedEx. Uh, I've worked at uh, Ford Motor Company. Um, well, a subsidiary. They're kind of they were so big that they spun off a parts division, and it became a Fortune fifty company itself. So I worked for the Fortune uh, the uh, the parts division. Um, and it's like, so a lot of plant-based stuff, um, manufacturing was kind of a heavy focus, okay. a lot of engineering. Um, I then shifted into more of a tech focus um, a little later on in the career. I've had dabbles with it throughout my career. Um, worked in a lot of, uh, I've worked in a, the startup, so a tech startup, uh, most probably most or more recently. Uh, so I've got a full gamut of recruiting experience. I've I've kind of done a little of everything from, doing mass hiring where I'd be standing up on stage, giving presentations to a, a, a whole bunch of hourly workers, like in a plant setting to um, setting up ATS. Actually, I've set up the ATS system for an organization. And that's and applicant kind of, tracking system, right? Yeah, sorry, applicant tracking system. That's basically, okay. we, there's, and we can dive into that later, but there's <laughs> there's a lot of confusion around what an ATS system is. It's not nearly as sinister and as scary as people think it, think it is, but um, I've set up the back end of hiring systems, gone out and trained hiring managers from uh, basically ground level. I, one of the places I walked into didn't even have their their hiring system was 
manila folders that were stacked on my boss's <laughs> desk at the time. So and they I, haven't been digitally transformed is what you're this, saying. At, at the time. Yeah. <laughs> at the, now the, since, since then we've, we've made a lot of progress, but at the time I, I had done that walked in. So I basically creating hiring systems from scratch. Um, so kind of like the, uh, essentially the full gamut of recruiting, but it's all been, um, Every job, even though I have a human resource background as well, I've kind of made a decision a few years back to specialize in recruiting because that's what I enjoyed the most is the hiring of people. And I, I like dealing with employee relations, although sometimes I would, that would kind of, that kind of come back to bite me, but I like the, <laughs> the human aspect, the human relations, the employee relations and recruiting. And so I just made a purposeful decision a few years ago then to just focus strictly on the recruitment side of things and, um, Maybe it wasn't the smartest move at the end of the day because uh, recruiters tend to be the uh, the last ones hired and then obviously the first people fired uh, in organizations as tech has has found out the hard way um, through um, through layoffs. So, um, although you did have a heyday there, I mean, there was a moment when like five it, minutes. Was, you know, yeah, it was yeah, really it was for- <laughs> really hot though for a second, and I kept thinking to really? myself, why am I not in on this? What am I missing out on? Yeah, you know? but the whole time I'm sitting here thinking when that was happening, the whole time this is not going to last. You like it's a bubble. Get, it's going like, to burst. And that's why I will never fault somebody. I hear a lot of like people throwing shade at tech, like saying like, Oh, the guy who, who went to Google and made $500,000 a year, uh, you know, they're not worth it. You know, I don't feel bad for them if they get laid off. Like they, they, they took too much money. And I, I will never feel bad for somebody getting their money, you know, especially when you have layoffs and people don't hate the player, hate the game. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you have every bit the ability to go get that job too, if you want, you know, so people can be very mean. Yeah. It's pretty brutal. And as you do more content, you'll, you'll start to realize that people are um, very opinionated. And I've also learned that the people who have, the least amount of experience in a thing tend to be the most opinionated <laughs> about a thing. That's fun. It's like I'll see there, I'll see comments, and I, I love my audience. Don't get me wrong. I got some. I have some trolls that'll come in occasionally, but um, people will will declare that this is the best way to do this, and this is how it works. And I'm sitting there just going like, oh gosh, you're it's like, like I've seen this your advice is times. so so out of left field. <laughs> so there is a lot of there is a lot of confusion and a lot of. Um, there's a lot of um, misconceptions around recruiting specifically uh, in how to get, how to get position yourself or how to get into, you know, big tech, for example, where um, people have preconceived notions of, of what hiring is and some of their conclusions. Um, I can see why some people will be very jaded and very bitter and very frustrated, but some of the conclusions that people come up with are uh, a bit head scratching. Um, but how I started where I am today, how I got to where I am today is back in 2020, I actually experienced a, an untimely, um, a layoff I had, I was at the time living in the Chicagoland area. Uh, and my wife and I decided that we wanted to relocate South to get to, it's a lot cheaper, better weather, et cetera. A lot kind of the typical reasons why a lot of people will leave. So we ended up moving and. I never had, I was working in a remote recruiting job at the time I, and I'd never had official approval to relocate, even though I was working remote or more of a hybrid. I was working probably 75% remote. And I remember getting, I was getting my boss, trying to get my boss to sign off on like, Hey, I'm moving other people on our team sat remote, but there was a few of us that sat and did hybrid or a couple of people actually went into the office every day. And he never could get me the blessing. It wasn't him. He was always trying to get a layer up from him to be, to, to sign off on it. And finally, you know, we'd already committed to move. We had a lot of, there's a lot of personal reasons why we were, were moving. And it was like that, that ship was already sailing. And um, so I rented a U-Haul truck, drove down to Nashville. We got there on a uh, Friday night, Saturday and Sunday, unloaded the truck. And then I was going to take the truck back to the U-Haul on Monday morning when it opened back up again. And then I was going to start my first you know, day in Nashville working. Well, I get a, an email from the CHRO on Monday morning. Suddenly there's this meeting that that popped up on my, my inbox and I'm like, what the hell is this all about? <laughs> and then, so that's a um, rough one. I've seen that in, I've seen yeah, that in my it, inbox before. <laughs> it, this is after we were in town hall meetings, you know, right before, this is during like the whole COVID pandemic where everything was shutting down. All of our wrecks had been pulled. Like this was May timeframe. 
all of our recs had been pulled since the December of the previous year. And everybody was, if you can't recall back at that point, everybody was in like a wait and see. Um, nobody was hiring. And then this whole pandemic. So it was like a lot of panic and fear in the market. And um, so we didn't have any, any, I had no recs. And when you're a recruiter that doesn't have any recs, that's you always a huge, <laughs> yeah. And anytime I've ever been in an organization where anything gets put on hold, head, headcount gets placed on hold. I mean, if you're, if you're in a tech organization and you're not a rec even in recruiting and you start seeing that suddenly all the recs get placed on hold, there's a, there's a headcount freeze. That's a major, major red flag. And it's almost, I, I don't think I've ever seen a circumstance where that's happened, where things went back to normal again. It's almost every case that has led to layoffs. And if they're sitting in a town hall meeting and they're saying, we're not going to, we're not thinking layoffs. We are not doing layoffs. There's no plans to do layoffs. <laughs> they're, they are absolutely planning to do layoffs and they absolutely already have the list of people who are being laid off in their hand while they're telling people that they're not doing layoffs. <laughs> and literally I'm so glad you're saying this because I'm such a cynic and I'm like, I swear. No, it's 100 percent true. That, it's like that's okay. that's like that's like a, a truth, like a universal truth of, of You've heard uh, it here. Yeah. If you want more gems from Brian, he's got a special offer for the It Gets Late Early audience. Go to a lifeafterlayoff.com and enter the code gets late early for 10% off his courses. Link is in the show notes. Back to the show. <laughs> so I got the call. Uh, this is like literally two weeks earlier. They had said, no, there's no, no layoff, no layoff plans. And so when I got the call, uh, the, this, this meeting popped up the CHR, I, was I talked to my boss and I'm like, do you know anything about this? And she's like, I don't, I'm sure it's just a step level meeting. Maybe they just want to meet. And then I was talking to the director and he didn't know anything about it. And, um, so then of course I get the call and they give me the news and I'm sitting there going like, you gotta be, you gotta be kidding me. And, um, so I walk into, yeah, so I walk into, uh, he actually, my boss ended up getting laid off too. Several people on my, my team. But were my you, were you laid off on Moss or were you a one-on-one -on -one layoff situation? She actually, they actually handled it as far as layoffs are concerned. She actually handled it the correct way. So I, I, and just what I, is I that could, way, by the way, what was the mean, actually way like calling and telling you face, like face to face, you know, like yeah. having a conversation and not being through email. Cause we've seen so many really horrible stories Gosh, about people so getting many. laid off. So then, um, I get this layoff and immediately I, I obviously dealing with the shock of the news. So I walk into my, my, my wife is in the bedroom. I walk in there, I go, she, she looks at me, she immediately knows something's up and I'm go, I go, I just, I just got laid off. <laughs> She's like, you gotta be kidding me. Cause we had plans to buy a house. We were, um, we had, we had a, a six month old baby and we were planning on expanding our family from there. All of this stuff got placed on hold. I told my wife, like moving to Nashville, she didn't want to leave. We had a house up there. We sold it. And she's like, I'm going, I'm going to get you a nicer house. Like mm, everything's going to be really good. selling it. Yeah, yeah. It was like really selling it. And we get there. And like, so now all that stuff, got placed. she was, she was like a, a saint with him. Mean, she was super supportive, but you married the right um, person. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And she, she, so three days went by, like I, I mourned for the first day. Cause I think that's healthy when in a layoff, you need, you need to mourn stages. of grief. You need to like, yeah, the stages of grief. You need to like get pissed off. You need to, you know, you need to go through all the like, well, why did I get chosen and not that person? And it was because of the, and I, you know, you run through all the scenarios in your head and you kind of, that's just part of like the grieving process. And then on day two, you know, that was kind of like what I was going through and then, um, panicking, <laughs> like probably did a little bit of panic applying, not going to lie, probably <laughs> threw together an outdated resume and like a Frank, I we call my Frankenstein resume, the resume that had gotten me hired for several other companies. But at this point was like super out of date. And I was like, just adding to the end of it. So I'm like probably panic applying a little bit the first day or two. And then by like the third day and I'm sitting there going like, I can't believe this, like, all of my momentum that I was, we were trying to get this house. We had, we had started, we'd already been like visiting with, um, you know, like going and looking at houses and builders and things like that. And so like all of that gets pulled out from underneath you in an instant. And now when, and that time at the market, I know the market sounds, it seems bad. It's not a good market right now, but it was particularly bad then where nobody was hiring, at least here there are, I do see people that are getting, you know, that are finding uh, employment. And, you know, I think we're kind of like a little bit of this, we had this massive wave of, in, of layoffs that happened at the beginning of the year, 
late last year into the beginning of the year. And I think it's slowed down the second half of the year, which is good. I mean, it doesn't feel good for those of you. I mean, it's still not a good market and some people are still experiencing layoffs, but, um, at that time in 2020, nobody was hiring. The best jobs that you could find from a recruiting perspective were working for these like little cruddy um, agencies who were like slimy. I remember one guy I talked to, I applied for this one job and he he contacted me and he the only thing he wanted to know was what companies I could bring with me to like for the book of business. Like that's all, that's all he cared about. Didn't want to know anything about anything. Yeah. So it would be like companies that I just wouldn't have any, I wouldn't have given the time of day in a normal market. And I was, so that's, so that's kind of what I was dealing with. And by the day three after my layoff, and this is what I was seeing on the open market. I just told my wife, I said, you know, I am not going to sit here and feel sorry for myself. I'm not going to, um, wallow in pity. I'm, I am, going to take ownership of my situation finally, because I had tried to start a few other businesses over the years, you know, tried to be self-employed and, um, with varying degrees of success. But I decided at, at that time, I'm no longer going to do this. I'm tired of being at like, they have dictated my ability to buy a house, to have a baby, to pay my bills, to live my life, to where I could move, how I could move, when I could move. And I just felt like completely powerless in that regard. So I, I told my wife the, the morning of the third, I woke up, jumped out of bed and I said, damn it, I'm going to, I'm going to make a, a, a business. It's going to be called a life after layoff. And I'm going to go down and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to teach people how to like, there's so much confusion. And cause I had noticed this when I, was, when I was recruiting, I noticed how many, how many people just struggled with like presenting themselves and, and marketing themselves effectively. And I used to pull and I would talk to people in interviews and I knew I wasn't going to hire them, but they struggled so bad that I would spend the second half of my interview sometimes, not all the time, but like spend some time. I'd be like, Hey man, I'm, I'm not going to hire you, but can I just, <laughs> can we just, can we just talk for a minute? Like, let me just, what here's a gift, how I want you to, yeah, what a here's, gift here's, to that person. Yeah. So I, whether they took my advice, <laughs> you know, at that time, I don't know. They probably just pissed off. But anyway, <laughs> I, I ended up finding that there was a big need for that because there was such this, there's such big confusion about how it actually works behind the scenes. And the, these people come up with these, like just these insane ideas of what, recruiting actually is and how it works behind it. They, 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 they come up with these like sinister, like there's these like evil, like this evil room of like the sinister cabal of like, you know, the Illuminati sits back there and, you know, screws around with things. And it's, um, it's really just not the case. It really, most of the issues with recruiting are crappy processes, companies trying to catch play catch up, you know, maybe have grown too fast or had nothing in place before, and they're putting band-aids on everything and hiring managers that don't value the recruiting process at all, or say that they do, but don't really live the live it. And they're non-communicative. They don't participate. They, they kind of hot potato over the recruiting. They throw recruiting under the box. Like recruiting is the most loveless job <laughs> like you don't, you get, you get hate from the candidate, you get hate from the hiring teams, you get hate from everybody. Like, and nobody's like, nope, there's no pat on the back. Like my one, but my boss used to tell me, if you got into recruiting for a pat on the back, you're in the wrong business, you know? So, and it's very true. Like everybody hates the recruiter. And then like, in, in no matter what you do, like if, if the hiring manager is slow to get back with feedback or, you know, has some sort of stupid, stupid requirement, or they say, we're not going to hire this person because they don't meet these requirements or they don't fit our mold or whatever. Then the recruiter is the one that has to deliver that message, even though they may not agree with it, but we're kind of forced into that, that situation. So there's, there's not really a whole lot of love loss, but long story short, I, I ended up deciding that at that point in time, I'm going to create a, a, a company. I'm going to, I'm going to create a, a service that helps people truly reclaim control in their career. Originally started off as I'm going to help people get back from being laid off. I'm going to help them get back into the workplace as fast as they possibly can to get back to life and living, you know, living again. But as I've kind of grown over time or as my message has evolved, it really became more than that. And it became more of how do you actually reclaim the control in your career? In other words, how do you, how do you act like, 
it's like breaking the ripping the bandaid off of this love affair with careers and how people think careers should be. And I think it's probably a generational thing, honestly, like older generations, you could work the same place for for an entire career as you get into like the, the newer generations, I'm not going to date myself by what, <laughs> what, uh, what generation I'm in, but, um, it's, that's not, that's no longer a thing. And people, the sense of betrayal, it's almost like if you know that you're going to get betrayed, then you can handle yourself differently. And I know that sounds really cyn- like cynical and that's not really my intention, but if you know the rules of the game, if you know that you're probably not safe, unless you're a superstar candidate or you're somebody that has positioned yourself with meticulous precision, everybody is at risk on some level, depending on the type of job. So you're not, you know, it's, it's, um, there is a, a strategy involved with careers. And as I've kind of, I've talked to thousands of people in coaching sessions and candidates, and I kind of started to, to realize that it's really more people don't treat their careers like they're the owner of their career. They outsource it to somebody else. It's, I want somebody to write my resume. Yeah. Or (laughs) chance. Yeah. That's probably even more common. I want to outsource my resume writing to somebody else. I want somebody else to do the work for me. I want my boss to give me a promotion. I want the company to pay me money to do this job. Like that's all putting your ownership onto somebody else to do the right thing. And then when they do what they do, because it's like, let's face it, business is a very, it's, it is what it is. It's there to design, to make money for the stock, the shareholders for first and foremost. Shareholder value creation. That's it. And if you're not adding value, the, the minute you are no longer valuable to them and that could shift from day to day. And so what have you done for me lately? If long as you're the, the minute you're no longer valuable for them and their bonus, you know, like a lot of the senior leaders get bonuses based on, so they have to make strategic moves in there that you, know, you are a cog in a wheel. You are a pond for them to be able to do it. And it's not meant to be, it's, it sounds cold, but it's like, you kind of have to accept that that's how it is. You absolutely do. And you can't will it away. It just is. Yeah. And so it's like no amount of complaining about things is going <laughs> to change that. No amount of like, it's all their fault. And then like being this, like basically what you do is you become powerless when you start to put your power to other people and then you just complain yep. about it. And you, so it's toxic, you know, it, it is, it's it self, is a toxic thing. And, prophecy too. It's like, it, 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 absolutely yeah, it's race to the bottom. So then that's where it's kind of morphed into how do you actually take control back in your career and become the CEO of your career? Because that's ultimately what it's all about is reclaiming the power, no longer being a victim because I I would say the single most prevalent mindset of people who struggle in their career is the victim mentality. It's the, it's always somebody else's fault. It's the company's fault. It's the recruiter's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's society's fault. Rather than taking ownership and saying, okay, I know that it's not fair. I know that the world is stacked against me. I know that their only goal is to make the most amount of money for their shareholders. So I should behave the same way for myself and put myself first. It doesn't mean that you're going to be in there being a, a bull in a china shop. It doesn't mean you're going to be telling everybody to f off. It doesn't mean, yeah, but it means that you approach your career with a degree of strategy, knowing that you are the only one looking out for you at the end of the day. That is brilliant. That I wish everybody could hear just what you said there. Right? That's critical advice. It's like you got to accept the laws of gravity. Right? This is how it is. Now, what are you going to do with it? Right? You got to make a path for yourself. I love that. Yeah. So we've got two choices. We can either be continue to be the victim and continue to suffer lackluster results in our careers and and continue to not reach our goal and continue to tread water, or we can learn the rules of the game and then use them to our advantage. Because here's the thing, 99% of the world of the population is not playing the game properly. If you just play the game, if you just learn to play the game properly, you will be ahead of 99% of people. And it, and it's not even that it's not even that it's, it's more of a mindset shift than it is anything. It's, it's, but it takes work. It's like, it's not easy. It's not easy to, to change habits and to change your mindset and to start to play with strategy because it requires you to do something that it's like that, that thing, like habits take a certain amount of repetition before they actually set in. It's the same thing with, with careers and a career mindset and doing like, like why did that guy get promoted and not me? 
It's like <laughs> we've all asked that question. <laughs> yeah, sure. I've asked that question. I've been pissed off. Like, how the hell did Ew? that person? That yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, and I, I mean, we've all had that experience. But you have to look at the end of the day. Were they better at? at like, were their skills better than mine? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Probably not. But maybe, maybe they were. Do did they do they know how to market themselves more effectively? Probably. Did they know how to play the political game, the unsavory political game a little oh, bit? Yeah. And every, nobody wants to play the political game, but everybody gets but everybody gets pissed off whenever they get passed up for promotion. And I go, well, <laughs> you, know, you, yeah. you can't you can't have your cake and eat it too. You know, you have to <laughs> you so it's like learning how to play the game the correct way. And um in within the context of recruiting, it's how do you if you know how companies, not just one company, but companies hire and how they operate and how they select people and how they create jobs and all that kind of stuff. You can use that, that knowledge to be strategic and give yourself the higher likelihood of getting into being like somebody said, well, you can't, I, it, 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 a lot of these people just get these jobs because they're lucky. And I'll say, Sure. Luck actually absolutely plays a part in it. There's no doubt about it that being in the right place at the right time is how, and I have some anecdotal stories I could tell you about people being in the right place at the right time. I probably won't share them because I don't want to throw some people under the bus, but absolutely being in the right place at the right time can pay huge dividends. And sometimes you just need that one break, you know, that one break that sets you on a totally different career path. It's like you're in the right place at the right time. You get a promotion, you get that title, and suddenly the floodgates open for you and a whole other litany of opportunities. And then you can even... And you can even fail up. I've seen that a yeah, lot too. Can, when people yeah, get the probably, title. Yeah, probably even more common, <laughs> right? <laughs> like how many of us have worked for really bad bosses that are, you know. I mean, never. No one ever. Yeah. So, <laughs> Love so everyone. We, so we have the choice of being the victim or we have a, the, the, the choice of taking ownership, learning to play the game and, and setting ourselves apart and really doing what is necessary. Now, not everybody's career-minded. Not everybody wants to climb the corporate ladder, but it doesn't even matter. Even just trying to stay as a peak level individual contributor, everybody wants to earn more money. I don't know anybody on this planet says, I don't want to earn more money. Uh, you know, maybe the guy that's saying, like, I don't want to earn more money because that means it's more responsibility. And, but you know what? The, the person that's not making is making 20% less is still getting laid off too. That's a really good point. I hear some people say, you know, hey, I'm glad that I'm not paid as well as some other people because maybe I'll be less less likely to be on the chopping block. Yeah. It's like, that's the ironic thing. Like you hear like these people getting laid off at like meta and um, Google and they're, you know, pulling in these like stupid level um, salaries. And then the the person at the smaller company is gone. Yeah. Well, I don't feel bad for them. They, they, you know, they make that, they made all that money. They were overpaid to begin with and they don't have, and then, uh, and then I'll, I'll say, well, why would you ever feel bad for somebody getting the most money? They, have? they actually acted like the CEO of their career. They got the money and Guess what? Your pink slip's coming tomorrow too. You're both going to be unemployed. <laughs> this person, this person's going to have a couple hundred thousand more dollars in their bank account than you, though. You know, yeah, jokes so, on you. Yeah, yeah. And it's like you, the the mindset. This this um, it's kind of like uh, I don't want to sound like harsh because that's not my intention, but like it's kind of like a there's a winner and a loser mentality on some level where you know the winners don't make excuses. I've never heard somebody uh, like uh, be critical of uh, uh, somebody that's already achieved success or achieved something is never going to criticize the person who hasn't achieved it and is trying to. It's the person who hasn't achieved anything that is going to be the most critical of somebody endeavoring into a new path. So, you know, that's a, that's another universal truth around, around the mentality shift of, of like acting like the owner of your career. And I, I know, I'm hoping that doesn't sound cliche, but I think it's a really, I think it's a really um, powerful way to look at your career is how do you own what happens to you? And instead of being the victim, taking ownership and moving into a place of authority in your career where you set up like this whole thing concepts kind of talk, touching on like luck, some, some luck absolutely happens, but you can actually create your own luck by being in the right place at the right time with the right skills and the right tools and the right people and doing it purposefully. And that's not luck. That's called having strategy in your career. And that's kind of where my, this whole thing that I started has kind of morphed to is teaching people how to do that. So that's kind of like a really, really long convoluted story about how I started till where I am today. So that's, that's kind of, 
very resonant. It's completely on point for this audience. So I loved it and great stories throughout. So that was wonderful. Hey, quick break here. If you or anyone you know are looking for a new tech job and you're aiming for a company that understands the value of experienced workers, sign up for our email list where we'll send you jobs from companies that we hand select as a fit for tech employees over 40. Go to itgetsleteearly.com and add your email. Now back to the show. And speaking of the concept of, you know, taking taking reality as it is and, you know, what will be will be, right? The case or Sarah kind of mentality and looking at what we have in play and not willing it to be otherwise because it is what it is. Uh, speaking of the fact that there are those truths that are in our career sort of paths, right? And there are certain things in play that we can't change, right? Like we, for example, we can't change the fact we've all been born in, at least in, I would say in the US, into an incredibly ageist society. Like we all have had messages pummeled at us since pretty much we were born that getting older is not something we want to do, which I find intensely ironic because of course the goal is to continue to breathe air, right? And keep on (laughs) getting older, right? But we're not allowed to do it. We're not allowed to show signs of it, et cetera. And so because of all those stereotypes that are in place and because of all of that uh, sort of language that's been driven to us throughout our lives, of course, there is ageism that comes and seeps into the job search process and into the interview process and into the realities of being an employee at companies across all industries. So how do you help people? Because I know you have some videos on your on your YouTube channel that do talk about ageism specifically. So how do you help people take ownership over their age and actually try to position it in as, as great a light as possible? And also, conversely almost, right? How do you share with people how to potentially look a little bit younger so that you don't find yourself having people biased against you? You give yourself more of a shot at getting an interview, at landing a job, so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, let, let's let's be real. Um, ageism does exist, and it's it's one of the many biases that employers have, even if they don't feel like they have it. It's a subtle thing, and it's um it's not generally something that's even spoken about behind closed doors directly. Because I think nobody wants to feel like they're discriminatory or that they have a, an outward bias. But you'll hear hiring managers make these comments in you know intake calls where we'll we'll be sitting down with them to review the um the new open job requisition that just came and that we got assigned and we'll sit down with the hiring manager and we'll go through and kind of walk through the details of the job and the job posting and and everything and they'll make they'll make these subtle comments when we're like looking at um what kind of experience do they need what kind of experience don't you want and and um you know they'll they'll say you know, they'll say subtle things like about the candidate profile that they want. And then we'll kind of challenge some of those aspects. At least a good recruiter should be challenging some of those aspects. Um, one one of the things that's really common is I, I think them saying like candidate fit or fit for the job. Yeah. What the intention, yeah, you know, like what the intent it's like really what's the intention of the job. And I'll kind of give an example of when I was um I was recruiting for a lot of college graduates at one point in time, the college programs. And the purpose of the program was to get, um, they didn't use the term young leaders, but <laughs> but um, fresh leaders but, into yeah. the organization fresh. that they could, or, uh, that they could, they could groom to grow up without any bad habits or whatever. <gasps> and so that oh they could gosh. evolve into a, um, into the next wave of leadership. So it was, these are pretty common. These, these, in fact, I started in one when I first graduated yeah, from college. There are plenty of them. I went through but, one at Bloomberg for young grads. Yeah. Yeah. Thing. So they would send you on like rotational type of things. And it's like pretty, those are pretty common. And, um, when we were hiring for them, there was a profile that, that they would look for and it would be, you know, a college graduate that was starting into their career. Didn't, even if somebody had a couple of years of experience, they probably weren't a job fit for what the hiring manager had determined they wanted because they wanted in their mind what they're solving for this program is to bring in new uh, a, a new wave of like for succession planning of people who are considered up and coming high potential you know this up and coming like what is like yeah malleable like like what is up and coming and how do you actually define that it could up and coming be the guy that's worked or the, the woman that's worked in another organization for 40, 30 years and never got her shot and then comes here and, you know, for whatever reason, didn't have the ability or the, uh, the um, opportunity 
to demonstrate her competency, but then comes here and we would, you know, you challenged a hiring manager and said, well, what if I found a, a 45 year old that decided to go back to school and was a fresh college grad, <laughs> you know, but but they would say things like, well, that doesn't really fit the mold of what we were looking for. We want somebody that doesn't have habits already that we have to break. And like, so what does that actually mean? You know, it's like the mold still has to be legal, right? You know, like you can't, you can't like, you can't discriminate in that, but it's an unspoken thing that if I were to put a, a 50 year old fresh college grad into an interview process for that management development program, the chances of them being taken seriously are pretty slim, even though they may have all the competencies and they may actually have all these real life skills that they, and experiences in a work acumen and a work ethic, let's face it, like a, a strong work ethic that, you know, that, that is demonstrated, but and mentorship capabilities to help all the other ca- younger people. Right. But because it doesn't yeah. fit the mold, you know, then they would say things like, well, they're a flight risk. If they come in here, they're going to, they're going to be a flight risk. They're not going to be happy doing this lower level work. And, um, therefore, you know, they're not going to be, so it's like, so, and they used to do this with, um, location too. This used to drive me nuts because I've had employers tell me that we're not going to move forward to candidacy because you live too far away from the location. And it's like, shouldn't I be the one to determine whether or not that commute works for me? You know, I had it say I had an hour and a half commute at my old job and I did that for four years straight. Yet your commute's only 45 minutes. I'm looking at it as this is a positive thing. And you're looking at it as because you had a bias because the last person you hired couldn't get to work on time. And they live 40, uh, 30 minutes away. And so you saying, oh, 45 minutes, you're definitely not going to be able to get to work on time. So or you're we're it's a, a shield for something else that they feel like you're too old for this job, right? I mean, that's- or yeah. And I think with the age, the age thing, I think that that's like, it doesn't fit the mold. So like for that particular example, um, so you'll find that in a lot of cases where succession planning um, for the, those purposes, there's also a bias against uh, a, a person who has gone far enough down their career path that they are either a known commodity or they're like, I hate to use this term because this is really ugly, but like damaged goods in some way. Like if you were never a, I've heard hire, and this is something that I've heard very commonly. This is, and it always disgusts me when I hear it, but I've heard hiring managers say, why wasn't he promoted or he or she promoted in that previous role? Now there is probably some degree of truth to a person who has a long career that has never successfully moved into the the type of role that they're applying to now. And again, we take the ownership in our career and through meticulous career planning, you should have a much stronger strategy to get there. However, there are people who may maybe truly do have the competency that are never being considered because they don't fit the mold and a, a manager has a bias. What about the high performing individual contributor? Like why isn't there that IC sort of role defined out there? And what, have you seen that? Have you seen this as something that's, that's a major problem across industries or is it more prevalent I mean, in tech? There, like in tech, I used to find it a lot where there you could be a principal level engineer and be very highly compensated. In fact, one of my coaching clients was, he worked at the, uh, was one of the fangs. I forget which one. I think it may have been Google. And he was going, being recruited to go to um, a, a hardware like an NVIDIA or some something like that. But they were throwing like he was. We were working through an offering negotiation for him, and it was like in the three to four hundred thousand range, and we were getting him up into the fives. And we were actively negotiating this thing. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, shit, like why be a leader and take on all that extra burden and responsibility when you're making this much money? And you know, he's very technical. Some people don't want that leadership. At, at you know in the beginning part of their career they don't want the, the the leadership they want to just be really involved in the tech they want to be involved the hands-on and then maybe at some point later in life they evolve and they decide you know what i actually would like to try that and i passed up opportunities before at my pre- previous my dwell time you know be purposefully and now i'm changing my mind and i want to go back into it and then the bias becomes real it's, a, it's an ageism thing that now the hiring manager is resume screening I, I i hate when they do this because it's like when i'm screening a candidate and i'm going through and asking questions that i know for sure the hiring manager is going to likely ask you know if i see like weird things on your resume that i know are a red flag i need to get in front of them because i need to present them to the hiring i need to basically market you 
to the hiring manager and say that this candidate actually meets the requirements of the position because I already know that they're going to run interference on it and they're going to, they're going to pull, pull a knife and they'll, it's called resume screening. They'll resume screen a resume that we send over to them and they'll poo poo it because they'll make these assumptions. They'll like, they'll paint this, this career history and I'll sit there and have the notes like, a, a, like, especially with a really smart candidate that's really well-spoken and we have a good conversation. I have like good notes. And then the hiring manager will make these like determinations based on, a piece of paper. And then I'll, I'll say, well, how did you come up with that story? Did you talk to this candidate? Cause that's not what they told me. They told me something very different than the narrative that you've now created. And they'll just say, well, in my experience, well, your experience is wrong. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you have an experience, like talk to the candidate, you know, like, it, uh, like, or then I don't need to be involved in this process anymore. If you don't trust my screen, then why am I even here screening these candidates? I'll just hand them right to you. I'll source them and send them right to you. You can do all the screens if you don't, if you don't believe, trust what we say. And that happens all the time. Like that's like bad partnership is what I would say. It's like when a hiring manager thinks that they know better than everybody else. And especially like they know better than the recruiters who's like literally talks to hundreds of candidates, you know, each and every week or sees hundred. So, you know, how can you, if you're a candidate in those, in those types of situations, I mean, it's going to be, it comes down to how do you market yourself? It's very careful marketing. Are you looking for a job at tech companies backed by private equity? If you're anything like many people, I know that answer is a definite no. And in fact, you actually dread the possibility your company might get acquired by private equity. But guess what? The whole exception proves the rule thing. That's true. Cross-section is that exception. A new PE firm and boutique consultancy that's built by actual operators from the tech industry, as in they know how to do the work and can help founders get the capital and guidance they need to go to the next level. They also understand the value of experience, and so do the leaders at their portfolio companies. Sign up at itgetslateearly.com to apply to cross-sections portfolio companies and other hand-selected opportunities for workers of any age. Back to the show. Brian, let me put it this way. I used to get, and I'm very fortunate to be able to say this, but I used to get just a constant stream of inbound inquiries from recruiters. Please apply to our job for this. Please apply to our job here, et cetera. And it was all the time. And I felt very grateful. And I will say that I typically have found jobs through my network and through connections. So not through those outbound outreaches. Uh, but anyhow, uh, nonetheless, it was always this kind of great feeling to know that I was in demand. And I have to tell you, and I know that the economy is not great right now. And so that is part of this. But as soon as I hit 40, those inbound inquiries that are coming from recruiters, they fell off a cliff for me. Can you tell me a little bit about your perspective on that? I mean, I think it's partially due to um, the state of the economy. I mean, I even... I, Granted, I haven't been in recruiting in a hot minute, like the last two or three years. I've not actively been looking for jobs. Um, but um, I know in the, in the peak of the market, you know, even like a year ago, I was getting was like 10 or 15 a week for recruiter jobs that were like paying pretty well, um, multiple offers and things like that. And I would say that's dried up a, a, a fair amount over the last year as obviously recruiters just kind of went off the cliff. I don't know what kind of work you did in tech beforehand, but um, it's, so it, it depends on the type of work that you're doing and the market for it. There's just not a lot of demand. There's a ton of supply. There's like, yeah. Anecdotally, I had 750 people apply to a VP of, of uh, information technology job that I posted and it was um, posted for 26 hours. I posted it on a Tuesday at like 3 p.m. And by Wednesday, close of business, I had to shut it down because there was too many candidates. And we have a commitment to 48 hour turnaround with the, the disposition each candidate in 20 in 48 hours. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to hit that metric. So I had to turn it off. I mean, I, I, could it happen where a hiring manager's resume screening you? Yeah, I'm sure, I, of course, that could be the case. I will say this. I have counted years of experience because of a certain threshold, but usually at like minimum number of years. And maybe somebody doesn't reach the bar like, okay, we have to have somebody that has at least five to seven years. And I've got my whole opinion on like years of experience and like how much of a true indicator that is to you know, to fit for the job. But sometimes I'll go through and count the years of experience just to make sure that you meet the minimum threshold for a particular bar that's been set. But I've never personally screened somebody out because they had to. Now, 
it's, it's hard to not say that there's not a bias. When you see somebody on their resume that lists out that they started working in 1985 and they have, you know, a bunch of technology that's not even relevant anymore. It's like, it's like sunsetted and, you know, obsolete. And, um, they use like a, a AOL online email address and all this kind of stuff, right? That it's not, it's hard to not like on some level kind of judge, like, are they truly up, especially in the tech world where it is more, you know, like let's, let's face it. Like they tech bros, like to judge people, <laughs> you know, like, um, no. <laughs> so, um it's, you know, is that, is that a possibility? Uh, I would say maybe, I think it might be a more of a symptom of, you know, being in a, in an unemployed situation in a market that is very not advantageous for an unemployed person. You know, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of candidates. Tech has been hit extremely hard. You know, tech and recruiting are the two hardest hit industries for, through this the, this round of you know this latest round of layoffs. I'm hoping that it doesn't spill more into other areas, although it has to a degree spilled in other areas too. But um, that could be part of the issue. Um, it's all about careful, like how do you build your online presence? So like if I'm going back on my resume, I'm probably going back 10, maybe 12 years, especially if that's the threshold or the bar that's set for the types of jobs that I'm applying to. If they're saying, I've never, I've never encountered a job that required 20 years of experience, unless it was like a senior director or VP. So there's no point in me putting out a resume that shows that I've got 40 years of experience when I've only need five or seven. So I would say carefully crafting a resume that removes any indicators that, you know, don't like, don't make it easy for somebody to like, I hate, I hate to say this cause it just seems like a cop out, but don't make it easy for somebody to discriminate against you. Like, ma like make it as easy as possible. So give yourself that at bat. Right. I mean, absolutely. It's, I listened to one of your videos or watched one of your videos on YouTube recently. And you said something that has been a part of my own personal creed as I've been interviewing. Um, and it, it's really, Hey, I never let people know anything personal about me. I don't let people, I mean, I'll here and there a little bit, but for example, I would never go out there and start talking about my kids openly during an interview because guess what? The person is, especially if that person happens to be a lot younger than I am, that person might have a bias against me because I'm a mother. And there are all these associations with working mothers, right? And so why enter that into the equation, right? I, I just, and, and then on the flip side, there are times when I'm like, screw it, I'm, I'm going to be me. And if they don't like it, I don't want to work here. So, you know, I, I, it depends on where you are in your job search process. And, you know, the level of, I, I mean, you might be at a point where you just need a job, whatever the job is, yeah, because you have- bleeding. Yeah. Exactly. So- Anyway, but that's that's been part of my creed as a job seeker. It's just like don't don't give them a chance to discriminate against you. Just yeah, and I mean, there's, there's a thing about like building rapport with your interviewer. You know, commonalities. Yeah. You know, you see a picture read on the their room. desk. That's yeah, read the room. Um, where you know you obviously with a family. You know, you want to be in a place that is in you know, a work for a boss that is supportive of flexibility and understanding that sometimes kids get sick and sometimes they'll come into the room while you're on your zoom call with your coworker, or, you know, sometimes you've got to go get kids from school and things like that. Um, but yeah, in general, I might reserve those till I get a little further in the interview process. And after you've made your first impressions, because it's like that first impression is the biggest hurdle to get past. If, if you're, if you're somebody that is advanced in your career and you're interviewing for a role that might be a little lower, uh, you know, the, where that might be an issue, your goal is to try to get the first impression. You don't want your resume to be the first impression. The, or I should say it is going to be the first impression that your lasting impression. You don't want that to be the lasting impression. If you can figure out a way to get into the interview process and then convince them through your overwhelming charm and your immense skill set and all this stuff, then you, you ideally are shaping the hiring manager's perception because I've had hiring managers that have I've convinced them to talk to a candidate because I just like, I knew that they were good. Like I talked to them and like they, like their resume did not read well. It, it did not show them as the level I made assumptions on a candidate, you know, and, and I'm like, well, I'm going to call them because they do have a couple of skills on their resume that are interesting. So then I'll call them and I'll be like blown away by them. They're like, they're like, wow, this was a really good, good interview. And this candidate is really sharp and impressive. And then I will send it over to the hiring manager with my meticulous notes and I'll go to bat for the candidate. And I'll say, I really think you should talk to this candidate. And they'll say, yeah, but they, and they'll have the same, you know, the same issues that I had with it. And I'll say, but I really think you should talk to this candidate. And so then um, when they finally go, okay, 
if you really think that it's fine, you put them on, I give them a half hour on my, on my calendar and I'll talk to them. And then they go in and I know that they're going to kill it. And they go in and they hit it out of the park. And then the hiring manager's just like, that guy was really good. I said, yeah, I told you. Like, why don't you? you <laughs> so, so now suddenly that the perception changes, you know, there have been times where I've even gone back to a candidate and go like, I can't send this resume over without, yeah, I want to give you the highest chance of likelihood of like that I can get you into the interview process with the hiring manager, but your resume is just not going to cut it. Like, can you massage this, add this, maybe remove that? They need make, your course. Make, yeah, make, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you need any help, the resume rock review course actually is is really a good uh, is really a good course for that. But teaching you exactly how to write, you know, that that resume that is going to help, like not only the recruiter but help you get the hiring manager to not resume screen you because I've seen that happen countless times because you want to get into the interview process and then have your your competency and your ability, your personality, your marketing skill to then be able to get you in, to really make that impression. So if you're somebody that's advanced in age, that's, that should be the goal. So you might even want to sprinkle in some very strategic networking. It sounds like you've leveraged networks in the past, which is great. And that's probably the number one most preferred way, like skip the recruiter. You know, that's, that's what you ideally want to do and leveraging LinkedIn no and offense. other places. <laughs> No, love I, recruiters. I, I love, <laughs> I love when people it, right? skip. Yeah. And I love when people skip me because then it's easy. Like if you can get the hiring manager excited about you and then the hiring manager come back to me and say, Hey, yeah. this, this is really, then it's one less candidate that I got to convince a hiring manager is good. I still get credit for the hire. I don't care. There you go. <laughs> like, there you go. My metrics still look good. If it doesn't matter where the candidate, if the candidate comes in from an employee referral at your church, I don't care. Like, That's perfect. So Brian's long as, killing it. Yeah, yeah. They don't care that all they need to look at is I own that rack and I got a hire in a certain number of days. That's all they care about. There you go. That's the metric that matters for a recruiter. Interesting. So yeah, help them out. You heard it here. Well, and actually I had a friend who just got a job pretty much that way. He he was interested in the company and he went on LinkedIn to a CEO who he'd met once, right? And he sent an email via or LinkedIn email or whatever it's called in mail, I think, um, get it right. But he sent an email and he was like, Hey, I'm really interested in this role at your company. What do you think? And the CEO wrote him back, put him in touch with the hiring manager. He got a job like two days later. He didn't even apply for the job online, right? Like that is how this works. It's the interpersonal connections. It's going straight to the source. It's asking, asking the right person, right? It's not just throwing your resume into a black hole. Yeah. And Targeted networking is probably my preferred way of, of approaching job search with the highest degree of strength. Because I've had candidates that have um, that have I've had even client like students of mine that have gone through um, uh, and gotten hired without even ever producing a resume before. Yeah, and um, happened people to me hear before. these people hear these stories about um, you know I share them on my like I I wrote a newsletter article last week about how there was a, uh, a guy that successfully negotiated a $350,000 compensation package increase on the original offer. And I people were that. all calling it BS. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not making this crap up. Like what, why would <laughs> I make like, yeah, like I'm not like, I don't need your click or your comment. It's like, it's against the sinister, it's like the sinister nature of it. But if you actually truly understood how he did it and I broke it down in that newsletter article, if you really understood how he did it, it's, there's a methodical process and it's very, it's very clever. And, and, um, you know, that is, it is not common, but it's, but it is, um, that's why it's like you use it to your advantage. If if you put the work in and do the things that you need to to take the extra steps necessary to set yourself apart, nobody else is doing it. They're all busy just going onto YouTube and onto LinkedIn complaining about the process, but rather than actually doing something about it, and the ones who are actually taking advantage of it are the ones who are getting the jobs that the people are complaining about. You know, like they're in these interviews. So, like, it's it's worth it's worth putting in the time and the energy to build your personal, like personal branding is kind of what it comes down to. People think personal branding is just for LinkedIn influencers and business owners and that sort of thing. And, and everybody has a brand, you know, look around your department. Now, every single person has a brand. You're either the guy that's at the water cooler complaining all the time. You're the person who's always skating out of work. You're the person who's always kissing the butt of the boss <laughs> and being annoying. Failing you know, up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fail, or you're the person that's failing up, or you're just the steady Eddie who comes in every day and at five o'clock he's gone and you never see him again until the next day. And, you know, everybody has a brand that they're building. And, like, how are you known in the organization that you worked in? And, and, and it's important. Your personal brand is important inside the organization, but it's even more important at the, at the industry level. Like, how are you perceived 
at the industry level because that's where it is the the, the networking the the personal branding really has a huge impact and i'm talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars maybe even into the millions of dollars over the course of a career if you, if you have a if you have a well crafted personal brand I think you're absolutely right. And it's one of those things that I think a lot of people are very resistant to, but I'm sorry, it's reality. And that's what the leadership teams are looking at. They know who's what your personal brand is. And that's people who, not everybody, but some people who get on layoff lists, you know, they don't have the best personal brand. Not, not all. I mean, I know that there's like, especially in the recent times, because so many people have gotten laid off, but you know, the person who has the stronger brand, you're going to be more likely to stay away from a layoff list. Absolutely. So Brian, it sounds like hopefully the tides are turning somewhat and we'll see fewer layoffs over the course of the next few months. That's fingers crossed on that one. But I guess I'd like to know from your perspective, what are the things that people who are still employed today, can what, what can they do actually? What can they do to help prevent themselves from being on that next layoff list? And then conversely, if you have been a victim of a layoff or you shortly will be, what are the things that you can do to get back on your feet as quickly as possible and take ownership of your career? Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm somebody that is one, I think everybody should be taking proactive steps to protect themselves, even if you think that you're relatively safe. Because how many people, if you scroll through LinkedIn, especially when there's times of like higher amounts of layoffs, how many people say, Oh, I never saw this coming. I was completely unaware. And it's like, even though like, everybody around you is laying off <laughs> like, even in your own, even in your own company, they've done two other rounds of layoffs. And like, I, I mean, I, I just don't know how somebody could be uh, caught totally off guard, but again, it's like the acting like the owner of your career. So I, I'm taking stock of how did my employer behave in 2020 when there was the first major round of layoffs, how did they behave in 2022? And if they haven't behaved in the, the right way, I'm certainly putting proactive steps in place to protect my income, you know, actively saving money. I'm not taking out any big loans. It's, you know, I'm not going off and getting new expensive cars, houses, et cetera, um, adding to my, to my debt. I'm trying to pay my debt down. It's kind of the basic stuff like a Dave Ramsey type might, might say, you know, protecting and getting your ship in order, so to speak, you know, get, get everything tightened up and uh, have that emergency fund. And then I would be actively making sure that my work is as valuable as it as it can be i'm making sure that i'm as visible as i can be and that means you know volunteering for certain and this kind of goes against the whole like there's this whole quiet quitting thing i've talked about it on my channel a lot and it's kind of like these iterations of the workflow it's like all this stuff is dependent on the, the law of supply and demand. You don't see a ton of quiet quitters when nobody's hiring, you know, like, like when, when there's jobs everywhere, it's easy to quiet quit and, you know, great resignation and all that stuff. But when there's no jobs anywhere, you know, you don't see nearly as many In fact, the statistics are supporting that suddenly nobody's practicing quiet quitting. You're, you know, you just looked at everybody around you getting lopped and you're like kind of looking around, you know, you gotta be, you know, you gotta be wondering. Um, so I would be trying to make myself as invaluable, especially if I'm, if I'm thinking that there might be some risk, you know, my, my industry has been at risk. They're, they're putting like, look for projects that are being put on, put on hold, look for if they come to your department and anybody, especially, especially in HR, asks you how you spend your day. They send out some sort of a spreadsheet. They put it under the auspice of, uh, uh, we're just trying to get an understanding of the amount of work. Um, you know, what, what each person's focusing on, like, even if it's like informal, like, Oh, we're a new leadership team and we're just coming in just to understand the workflow better and get a better handle on things so we can improve efficiently. I mean, or you get the 100... Bob's consultants from office, the yeah. office space, like yep. <laughs> they come yep. in. Yeah. Or, you know, being asked to rank anything, like all of those are major red flags that I would be actively, um, you know, trying to update my resume, but keep, keep your resume up to date. Like that's not something that you want to start scrambling with the day of, um, you know, you get laid off and like, you're like me, I had to go and like, you know, dust off an old Frankenstein resume and try to update it. So doing all this stuff when you're, you know, building your networks and, and network building is not just going and connecting with Joe who sits in the, the stall next to you or Jim who goes to your church or Bob, the neighbor down the street or whatever. It is targeted networking of people who are, can actually help you in your career. You know, it's, and it's, there's, there's methods to do it. It's going to be on the scope of this, but there's methods to do that. 
that you would want to start really actively. You, your your network is not going to produce a lot of fruit just because you get laid off and you go off and put up a post and say, I need, I need help. Somebody help me out. Your network is designed to help you get out of situations or to pull you into new situations and you you can leverage it. Um, I've not generally experienced much positive results to, I need a job, my network, please help me like that. That kind of messaging never works, but where, where it does work is, you can start putting kind of like you've done put feelers out there and, you know, let people know that you're open to opportunities in a more stable environment. And then if you have a strong enough personal brand, you know, that's where that, that's where it can bear fruit. But I'm, I'm certainly making sure that my, my LinkedIn profile is up to date is current and I'm active on there and making sure that I've got all my tools. And then I'm, I'm bunk, I'm kind of hunkering down. And if I did uh, happen to get laid off and I'm unfortunate enough, you know, I'm not panicking. I'm going to make sure that I have all those tools set up. And then I'm going to start obviously active jobs are just going to be part of it, active networking, but I would be focusing on also trying to, I know that like there's this, the side hustle culture can be toxic. Like there is like a, uh, a degree, I think with, because so many people had gotten laid off in the last 18 months, so many people started these side hustles and everybody seems to have one. Um, it can be a little bit toxic. And some people will say like that, um, you know, don't, don't do a side hustle. But then I sit there and I go, why would you not want at least some income security? Because when you rely 100% on some other entity to provide for like your sole source of income, then you're putting yourself at extreme risk because then you're th those are the types of people who then have to make panic decisions to take less than stellar job opportunities just to stop the bleeding. And once it's you do like that, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's like, just like investing to diversify your income streams. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of the same thing. And you'll you'll start to kind of go down a, a vicious spiral. It's like you get that bad job, but then that bad job suddenly brands you for another bad job. But then now you've got a resume that used to be strong that's now weakening each and I always say this, every single job that you take either strengthens or weakens your resume. It's just like going to the gym. You never stay the same. You either if you're in a job for too long it weakens your resume. If you're not in a job long enough, it weakens yeah. your resume. If you you're jump right. to too many jobs, it's like, it's like the porridge, the just right. Yeah. Like how, and, and being, although I hope we give some, some real grace to people over the last three years. Cause that's yeah, I, bizarre. I can't speak for other, I'm sure there's a lot more recruiters because they've, they've gotten laid off that hopefully there's some sympathetic recruiters out there that you'll be dealing with. But, um, I know I've never, I've never cared about that stuff when I was sourcing. I, I didn't care so long as you could justify, if you had something abnormal, just so long as you could justify. Now, if you were job hopping every six months, you had a new job, then I probably couldn't move forward with you. But if you were, you know, if you had compelling reasons why just you know, the, the employment, so we just don't want the hiring manager to create a, a fictitious story about you before they've even talked to you. That's kind of the main thing with the resume. Um, but that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm actively building uh, income streams, making sure that my tools are up to date and I'm leveraging very targeted networking to help get to increase my callback ratio because the callback ratio should be 20%. I'd like to see at least 20% callbacks for every app. So every 10 applications, you should be getting at least two callbacks. And if something's not, if you're not getting at least two callbacks, assuming you're reasonably qualified for the jobs you're applying to, then it's almost always a resume issue. And then it just tweaking and like, don't, don't keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expect the, you know, a different result. If you're not getting results from what you're doing, adjust, you know, look at it with a, you know, with a objective eye and say, where am I, where am I falling? Am I not getting enough interviews? Am I not getting enough? Um, am I not a, a phone interviews? Am I not getting enough hiring manager screens? Where am I falling out of the process and, and then troubleshoot that? Cause that'll, that's like, like it's kind of like symptoms going to a doctor, you know, they have to know where you're aching so they can help you. So that's what I would do if I was in, in a situation where I was thinking a layoff was coming. And then if I was um, actively, if I, I've made videos too, if somebody wants more detail on like how exactly to survive a layoff, I've got probably three or four videos. You can just search the channel and you can find them. Excellent. Yeah. We'll definitely be sending everybody over to your, your channel. It's great. I've been following it for quite some time and I'm excited about this audience getting to access that as well. I think you have some great tips. You have a really wonderful sort of way about you, real talk sort of aura. And I think it's really important because like you said, we, we can all just complain about things or we can accept reality and move forward with that and, and be intentional about where we end up with our career. So I think it's really, really important. 
And I'm, I'm happy to have had you here to share all of these good tidbits with the audience. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. I like that, I like that intentional. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been, uh, I've actually not been so intentional in some ways, but now, you know, it's funny because it's like you don't necessarily set out on a path intentionally, but over time you gain credibility and skills and know-how and, and you Maybe it wasn't your passion when you started out. Maybe you can't believe you fell into tech. Like for me, I used to be in journalism and then I fell into tech. And then over time, you start to like what you do because you get good at it. And then you just keep getting job after after job offer. And, and then you keep on making more and more money. And then it becomes very hard to extract yourself, right? So you, you um, become, yeah, you allow the employer to brand you. And that's that's usually a symptom of um, not having the career strategy from, you know, out of the gate. Yeah. That's a lot of times and, what we try to fix on the back end of career coaching is how do you like fix that? And it's not as easy once you get so far no. down the path. And and it, it is tough too, because you don't know what you don't know. And so I give myself a little bit of latitude in the sense that I wasn't sure what I would like until I tried it. And then yeah. a little bit of And that's part of the discovery yeah. process. Most people don't know what they want to be when they grow up really, right? you know, it oh. takes a little bit of trial and error. It sure does. And not everybody can be like a baseball player or a singer or what celebrity, whatever, yeah. right? All Although I do have lottery you. tickets. <laughs> I've got lottery oh, tickets over my wall. <laughs> do you? Are you? Are, yeah. If you I think? become a billionaire, I think I'll probably shut my channel down. So <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Although it's very clear to me that you love what you do, which it shines through. And I love the story of how you got to where you are. So thank you for sharing that too. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us today at It Gets Late Early. I hope this episode was insightful and entertaining. Now, before you go, if you're old and work in tech, just like me, I have something really cool for you. We're putting together a job board specifically for seasoned tech workers, where we'll curate the best opportunities for experienced tech talent. If you want a place to look for work where you can trust there won't be so much bias in the hiring process, go to itgetsleteearly.com and sign up so you'll be the first to know when we launch it. Thanks and see you next time.